I would like to summarize just briefly some of the things that we've been talking about in Acts, and then um, I'll be reading a passage. I'm going to be read out of the Amplified Version. I know that's not what we normally use, but you know who is not here. And uh, the Amplified Version, with all due respect, um, and I know that's on tape, so, you know, there's that. Um, but in my, in my book, um, he owes me. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so uh, between Doug and Chiv, it's kind of like, you know, thank you, Jesus, you're in charge of the church because that's what we need. So the book of Acts follows the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he appeared to the disciples for 40 days, um, an incredible time of power and miracles and the main thing I think they were doing was praying. And it talks about how the apostles devoted themselves to prayer. And so prayer was a big thing. Then the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon people. And people spoke in new tongues and people heard um, them speaking in their own language, their native languages, the mighty acts of God. And then we go into Acts 3 and there was a lame man who was healed by Peter and John, kind of a big deal, and uh, then Peter and John got in trouble, and <laughs> would go before the Sanhedrin, go before the chief priest, and they were not happy campers because they thought Jesus was dead, and it was over. Little did they know it had just begun, right? So many people were healed. Uh, there came the time in the early church where Stephen, where they needed more people to help with just ministering to people for food and that type of thing. And Stephen, an incredibly godly and educated man, was one of the ones who was chosen to help take care of the widows and orphans, those that needed food. And Stephen then, lies were told about him. Don't always expect people to tell the truth. Lies were told about him. And he was brought before uh, the Sanhedrin again, and they were not happy campers. And he gives an incredibly eloquent history of the Jewish experience and then he was stoned and we're told in scripture that as he was stoned there was a young man named Saul holding their garments while they stoned him and Stephen in the midst of being stoned asked that those that were hurting him would be forgiven very similar to what Jesus said on the cross and then he died and then the Bible says that the church was scattered and Philip who was also one of the ones that was uh, assisting the apostles and taking care of people in the area. Uh, Philip went to Samaria, probably not your local Jewish community, right? They didn't particularly care for folks in Samaria. Philip, Philip went there and shared the gospel. People came to the Lord. And then he went on to another place, talked to a man, uh, an Ethiopian. That man accepted the Lord. So ministry was going on even as they were scattered. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem but many of the others were scattered really all over. Um, so let me then read to you from the Amplified. Talks about Saul. Saul was not a happy camper. He was, um, it says in verse, chapter 8, verse 3, talking about Saul. Well, it says the, the verse prior, some devout men buried Stephen and mourned greatly over him, expressing a personal sense of loss. But Saul began ravaging the church and assaulting believers. 
entering house after house and dragging off men and women, putting them in prison. So Saul was just not somebody going, okay, this is bad, we've got to stop this. He was actively going into homes and dragging off people who uh, believed in the Lord. This would be similar to ISIS in Arab countries today for Arab Christians and some of the things that we have seen in our lifetime in the last few years that have gone on there. So let me read from the book of Acts. Now I have the amplified large print version. My kids tease me about this, but I'm sure they're also in prayer for my eyes. But um, even with that, I need to do glasses. Robert teases me more than Lauren, so just saying. I will tell a Robert story later, maybe, we'll see. He's not here. Chapter 9, verse 1, now Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord and relentless in his search for believers, went to the high priest and he asked for letters of authority from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any men or women there belonging to the way, believers, followers of Jesus the Messiah, men and women alike, he could arrest them and bring them bound with chains to Jerusalem. As he traveled, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him displaying the glory and majesty of Christ. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice from heaven saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting and oppressing me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he answered, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who were traveling with him were terrified and stood speechless hearing the voice but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, but though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was unable to see for three days, and he neither ate nor drank. Now in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. God knows our names, right? Right? And he answered, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight. God knows specifics, right? Go to the street called Straight and ask at the house of Judas, again, knowing a name, for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying there. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come in and place his hands on him that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, this may be the understatement of the year, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man, especially how much suffering and evil he has brought upon your saints, God's people, at Jerusalem. And here in Damascus, he has authority from the high priest to put in chains all who call on your name, confessing you a savior. But the Lord said to him, go, for this man is a deliberately chosen instrument of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings of the sons and the sons of Israel. For I will make clear to him how much he must suffer and endure for my name's sake. So Ananias left and entered the house, and he laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came to Damascus, has sent me so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to proclaim that Christ to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight, and he got up, and he was baptized. And he took some food and was strengthened. 
And then the passage goes on to talk about Saul, how he began to speak uh, in some of the synagogues right away, and then, uh, oh, somebody wanted to kill him. Um, he, did, he did spend a period of time. Okay. Okay, is it the floorboard? or I mean, is it the floor? Anyway, we'll move on. The Holy Spirit is here, right? <clears throat> so in, in preparing for this passage and thinking about all of Acts, thinking about what elements were involved, and to me, and there may be more, you may think of a zillion, I thought of four that I felt like I had time to, to preach about, but I felt like the importance of obedience, that you see that throughout Acts, I mean, the disciple, I mean, there are obviously some issues where people disobeyed, but obedience, prayer is such a huge thing in Acts. Forgiveness is so huge. And hearing the voice of God. And so I'd like to look at these. If you think about that passage and that story, you know, how all of those things play into that. How all of those issues and how they're significant for us. What happened in the book of Acts is not something that's just nice for history. But it happens today, too. And, and we need to be positioning ourselves in such a way that we can operate in, in the way the Holy Spirit wants to move and touch us and touch people around us. Sometimes it's not so much for our benefit as it is for the people around us. So I want to talk about several things there. First, I want to talk to you about obedience. Um, Ananias said, here I am. That was said other times in scripture. Abraham said it. Moses said it. Samuel said it. And Isaiah said it. Now, a couple of those guys, Moses and Isaiah, kind of argued with God about, you know, once they said, here I am, then it was kind of like, can you find somebody else? Um, are we willing to say when God speaks our voice, are we willing to say, here I am? Here I am for whatever you have. If we want to be trusted, even in relationships, if we want to be trusted, then being faithful, being obedient is a key thing. And do we carry that over to our relationship with God? Are we obedient to what he asks us to do? I talked with Robert last night. He called to tell me that he was ditching coming here to hear me so he could go hear a friend preach, which I was pretty excited about. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. He comes here sometimes. But we were talking. Both of my kids have had Bible training, and, and they both uh, speak into my life about that, and I'm very grateful. And Robert made the comment when we were talking about Ananias. He said, Ananias would not have messed up God's plan if he had refused but Ananias would have affected his destiny. Ananias was obedient, and we hear that part of the story in the book of Acts, that he was obedient, and he went to the home of a, I mean, he went to visit a guy that was a murderer, a known murderer, and he was obedient. God's plan would have gone on even if Ananias had said, find somebody else. But Ananias was obedient, and his destiny was affected in that. A lot of times, you know, when our kids are little or whatever, we expect 
you know, immediate obedience. I know there were times I felt, you know, I wanted them to obey me immediately. And one time God said to me, well, do you do that with me? <laughs> I was kind of like, okay, you're stepping on toes now, God. Um, but the answer is sometimes no. And so do we see it? And, and a lot of times with obedience, it wasn't like pick up those toys, but it was like there are cars that drive on the street and we don't run out in the street. So, you know, there's not a problem with that. A Robert story, he's not here, too bad. When he was about four, I was the assistant to the missions pastor at Hillcrest Church. And uh, they, I was responsible for about six or seven mission trips, short-term trips that went out each year. And so getting, making sure passports, all that kind of stuff was a part of my job. And so Robert was four, Lauren was eight, and some passport stuff got messed up and I was trying to get to an office that I could FedEx overnight some passports and it need, I needed to get there before they picked up stuff at five o'clock. So it was a time crunch. And so they're in the car. And this was unusual, but Robert was harassing Lauren. And um, I just think it's a Y chromosome thing, you know? I mean, it's just innate in the DNA. Sorry if that's a curse, I don't mean it as such, but in our house, anyway. Um, so Robert was just messing with her. And so I'm trying to get into the office. It's wintertime. It's cold. The windows are rolled up. Yes, I left them in the car. Don't call the 800 number on me. Because I wasn't taking Robert into the office where I needed to do something fast at the UPS office. So anyway, Robert, do not say a word to your sister. Okay, so I go in the office, get all these things settled out, UPS office. I make it on time. It's wintertime. And it's cold. And as I opened the door, and the windows were rolled up in the car, as I opened the door to go out to the parking lot, I can hear him babbling. No words, just babble <laughs> as loud as he could do it. Now, he literally obeyed me, right? But the spirit of the law, you know, I mean, we did have a discussion, and Lauren was just ignoring him, which was the smartest thing to do, although that doesn't always work, I would just say, as she pointed out to me many times. He did get in trouble, but, you know, I just thought, you turkey, you know? Yes, you're not saying a word, but you're screaming at your sister anyway. Um, he did come to know the Lord and all of that. I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful. So obedience is a thing. Prayer is a thing. I'm not telling you guys anything new. I'm sure none of you are just writing that down going, oh, that's brand new. It's like the Christmas story is still the Christmas story. The Easter story is still the Easter story. How do we let it affect our lives? How do we let God's spirit move where we are today? So prayer is a huge thing. I was in a quad um, years ago at Sue Smith's house. And I have not asked Sue if I could tell this story, but I hope it's okay. Anyway, um, we were in a quad, and I was really discouraged about my sister, who uh, was eight years older than me and just struggled in life a lot. She was an English teacher, taught senior English at a high school, she, but she struggled with anger at my father, and it pretty much ate her lunch every day. And there certainly were issues there, but Peg just could not forgive. She just could not. And so I was, that was really bothering me because Peg had incredible anger. I mean, when the phone call would come and you'd see her number, I would just kind of, you know, I mean, because inevitably, almost always, it would get to 
her being angry and something about daddy. Now, my father died in 1980. That's a long time ago. And for Peg, it was almost like every day he was calling her, harassing her because she could not forget. Forgiveness doesn't mean stuff didn't happen. Forgiveness means letting it go. It doesn't mean what happened wasn't significant or horrible or whatever, but it means putting it in God's hands so that God can minister to us and bring healing to us. And frankly, I was almost pretty much without hope for Peg. My kids had greater influence in sharing the gospel with her or trying. She had told my brother, who was a pastor uh, years ago, that she just wasn't ready to be a believer yet. I mean, we had tried. And she would hear my kids more than me, and I just shut up. You know, it was just easier to shut up. Uh, and loved her. I mean, she could make you laugh faster than anybody, anybody. But it affected her life. And it affected every relationship. Unforgiveness will affect everything. You think you can keep it in this nice, neat little box? And it doesn't work that way. So that day at, at Sue's house, um, she had a situation she wanted prayer for. And I was like, well, I can pray for that. That's easy. I can pray for that. And Sue started praying for Peg. Now, my sister taught English. She was a retired school teacher. We thought it kind of funny that uh, when she taught English uh, high school, uh, she smoked a lot, which obviously, um, anyway. And so they put a ban on smoking. You could only go out to the blacktop at the school and smoke. And so Peg would go out with some of these uh, senior boys that were kind of... Um, what do you want to say, you know? And here's the English teacher, and gratefully it was this kind of smoking and not this kind of smoking. But anyway, um, so, so we always loved that image, you know, of Peg out there with the less studious people of the class uh, smoking during breaks. Anyway, um, the day came with Peg uh, a couple of years uh, after Sue had been praying that Peg really changed. I mean, things that affect her health, her mental health, it was not good. She had been hospitalized several times. Um, it, it was not good. And Peg began to change. And she called me one day and she said, do you have a picture of daddy besides the one when he was a little boy in your home? And we have a picture of my dad who, when he was about six years old, that's my father, it's 1924, and it says first reader there on the book, so he was like first grade. And kids, by and large, are kind of like a clean slate. I mean, I get there's generational stuff and all that, but I keep that picture because it reminds me of the difference, affirmation and love and God's grace and the gospel you know, can make in all our lives. So I told her no, and, and she said, I think it's time that we let Daddy back in the family. Now, my father had been dead since 1980, and this was maybe like 10 years ago, 8 years ago. Um, and she had begun her journey of forgiveness. She had alienated all her friends. She had almost alienated her daughter. She just struggled with everything. And as she began on that road of forgiveness, on that road of forgiving my dad... It was just amazing, the change in her. And I knew it was prayer. The day came on, it was Memorial Day, um, Sunday, 2012. We got a call from my sister-in-law, Tom's wife, uh, saying that Peg had had a cardiac arrest and uh, she lived in 
uh, Johnson City, but was being air care flighted to Austin. And so we hauled it to Austin, and, and while she was there a few days, she never regained consciousness. Uh, they put her body, they, they make it cold to stop the metabolism, but she was gone. But as stories began to came, come out of how she had begun to forgive, and her relationships had been restored, um, and I think the struggle was over for her. That she had learned to forgive my dad, who had been dead 30-something years, and she kind of was getting her life back. And I believe she's with the Lord now. Um, I believe that she accepted the Lord and, and understood his grace. And, and the Lord reminded me of the prayer thing. And the deal is, we can't look at the problem. If you look at the problem, it becomes too big. We have to look to God. And sometimes you may need help praying for somebody, you know? And if so, ask for it. Ask for it. Prayer is an important part of what went on in the book of Acts. Forgiveness also just walks hand in hand with that. Um, it's hard to pray if you haven't forgiven. Forgiveness is not about what has happened to you, but forgiveness is inviting God into the pain and asking him to bring healing, asking him. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're asking, forgive us this day. We talk about forgiveness and we talk about um, you know, even how God protects us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think it's so critical for us to understand that we have a kingdom perspective rather than a perspective of the problem that's right in front of you. I'm not talking denial or I'm not saying, I know forgiveness is hard. I get it. It is hard. And sometimes it has to be an ongoing forgiveness. But if we're going to be close to Jesus, we have to forgive. We just have to. I mean, you can be my, like my sister and, and let it affect almost all of your life. And in her last days, she began to forgive and began to under, receive God's grace, started going to church. Um, I think she liked a guy that went to the church, but still, she was going to church. Did I mention she was smoking pot? I probably shouldn't say that, right? But that was, you know, it was kind of like, when she told us this, you're just kind of like, how old are you? You know, wasn't, anyway, I'll probably just leave that alone. <laughs> really glad that's on tape, too. Um, we were like, you know, anyway. A big part of Acts is hearing the voice of God. One of the best books that I know on hearing the voice of God, and I know there are a ton, and this is a very old book, but it's written by Lauren Cunningham, the director, the man that started YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and it's called, Is That Really You, God? It was written a long time ago, but he talks about his journey of discerning the voice of God and then acting on it. And so I highly recommend this. I actually have three of these. So um, I have one to give away to someone, but I have another one if you guys want it, but it's easy to order. One of the best books I know on prayer right now, and Lauren told me about this, is Moving Mountains by John Eldridge. It's excellent. I've read it a couple of times. I'm reading it again. But I just encourage you that um, 
I think for me the day will come that I will regret how little I've spent praying. And I feel like I pray a lot, but I feel like I don't even get it how important it is. On hearing the voice of God, I know it's tricky and I know it's subjective and I know you've heard stuff like this forever. So you can write these out with me, I get it. But I think, number one, we have to listen. When we pray that it's not just our needs or whatever, you know, oh God, help me. But Lord, what are you saying here? Lord, how do I pray for this person? Lord, what do I do? I think you need to be still and rest. To listen for the still small voice. Elijah thought it would be in the windstorm and he thought it would be in the earthquake and he thought it would be in so many things and it was the still small voice of God. So as you're seeking direction, listen for the still small voice. My experience, I don't know that others would say this, but my experience is, is that usually when it is the Lord, I don't feel pushed. I'm not talking compelled or whatever, like you may feel like you need to go talk to somebody. But if I'm just feeling pushed in something, I usually don't feel like that's God. That, that his way, he gives us choice and we can choose either way. I encourage you as you're thinking about asking God, hearing the voice of God to take authority over your own thoughts. You know, just pray, Lord, you know, this, I don't need my thoughts, I need your thoughts. Or the culture, you know, if, if we're not in prayer or focusing on God, just the noise of the world is so loud. I think we have to take spiritual authority over things. If you're, if you're praying about hearing the voice of God, I think it's important, is what you're hearing biblical? If it's not biblical, toss it. Okay? He's, uh, the Spirit of God is not going to say something that is not in Scripture. A critical thing is, is reading your Bible, and how does God speak in that? So hearing the voice of God is very subjective, and sometimes we hear what we want to hear, Sometimes uh, that's just being human. It's what we want. It's what we hope. But hearing his voice. There was a time in my life years ago, years ago, you don't know these people. Don't try to figure it out. But I felt like I was, I mean, like I was 27. So y'all can do the math. A long time ago. And it felt like the Lord that I was supposed to go to the hospital and tell someone that I felt like their loved one was going to go home, as in heaven. And they didn't want to hear that, and I didn't want to say it, because they were very focused on prayer and that he would get better, but he was very sick. He was very sick, and I didn't want to do it. And so I didn't. And prayed with them. I mean, I, I was very mindful of how sick he was. But we know God heals. And we know people are raised from the dead. We know all that. But in that case, God had asked me to go to the hospital. And say, I really think he may be going home. He was in ICU for a very long time. And as it got close to that he was going home. I began to talk to the family some about what God had asked me to do. Not an easy or pleasant conversation. Several weeks back, though, I mean, this man was in ICU like 12, 13 weeks. It's a long time. And about four or five weeks into it, a young man from another, of another city 
came to visit his dad, and his dad was getting better. And he came out of ICU, and he came to the family, and he told them that he felt like the Lord was saying that this man was going to go home, go be with the Lord. And they didn't receive it. They were gracious, but nobody wants to hear that kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there going, so convicted, because I was supposed to do that. And God has a man from another state come to Dallas and say to this family, he's going to go home. And I went through a fairly um, dark time. I was on staff with the church first time. And um, just about healing, about, you know, we were praying, all of that. And one day in my office over on Pearl Street, um, I was reading an article and one of the things was talking about a healing. It said, don't promise what you can't guarantee. That healing is not in my hand. Healing is in God's hand. And that he's a loving father. And if you pray every no you, wait, you pray, then we commit people to God's hand. And that is not, that's not defeat. It's the most powerful thing we can do. It's the most powerful thing we can do. And I will tell you that it was a long time before I got another word. The whole obedience thing, right? And I did work with that family, and I mean, they, you know, were okay after a period of time. It was difficult. Um, but I think in the end, I think at the end of the day, obedience is always better than me thinking, well, let me just do this, and maybe we can do this. And maybe he'll be healed. You know, the world saw the cross as a huge defeat, right? He was dead. He was dead. In that society, they knew what death looked like. He was dead. They stuck a spear in his side, right? He had been flogged beyond recognition. Jesus was dead. And yet, what looked like tremendous defeat changed history for all the world and that he rose from the dead and we have the gift of the Holy Spirit until he returns so I think we have to look at things like Saul persecuting you know there were Christians who died because of Saul Saul had to forgive himself right people had to forgive Saul you know you had this murderer come and talk to us all and yet how many people came to the Lord because Saul became Paul because Ananias was faithful to go and say brother Saul he didn't say you bad bad person you've killed all my friends you know he he declared the gospel over him some of you know that Robert has been in a youth for the nations they have these uh, camps and they have like a thousand kids come a week for this and it's like a four-week thing which different kids come each week and it's just exhausting and some of you guys prayed for him and there are several stories but probably the most significant that I heard on healing was the young woman who came from the Santa Fe ISD school district near Houston where a man had come in and murdered a number of students and she said to Robert she said to the staff because I came here this week I am able to forgive the man that killed my friends. And while there were physical healings, 
the emotional healing in that young woman at the age of 17, 16, to be able to lay all that down is huge. In 2015, the world was horrified at the act of ISIS of finding Egyptian Christians and taking them to a beach to martyr them. And the caption under the picture was, these are people of the cross and they are followers of the hostile Egyptian church, the Coptic Christians. And this picture is something that was literally showed worldwide. And a lot of us may think, oh, that was so horrific. And it was. It was. And frankly, with ISIS, that was the tip of the iceberg in what has happened in different Arab nations to believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet a pastor from Indiana wrote the next day after this picture was published, he said, oh, that there would be a Saul in that group who becomes a Paul and ministers to the Arab world. When we see defeat, when we see things we cannot comprehend, oh God, that you would take it and move and glorify your name. Because the end is really not the end. The Bible says in Revelation 12 that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. And when we go to be with the Lord in heaven, we will see them and countless others. John wrote later in Revelation, Behold, I see a new heaven and a new earth. And so this day, while we so desire to be a church like the Church of Acts, we so desire for there to be healing and restoration and, and for God to move and people to be drawn to him, we know that, that we really stand on the shoulders of so many people that have gone before us. As we close this service, as this service comes to an end, if, if you would like to come to the altar and pray, that would be great. If you would like to join the church, we would love to have you do that. If you would like to accept Jesus as your Savior, that would be awesome. Um, we, we still live in the days of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And oh, that, that we would so walk in his ways and honor him. Let us stand and sing.